Hello and welcome to the Sincere Yogi Podcast, a podcast for yogis just like you who are seeking more from their yoga practice that you can't get in your average studio class. My name is Sarah and I'll be your host. Hello, yogis, and welcome back to season two of the Sincere Yogi podcast. In season one, we started off our journey on the eight-limbed path, discussing the yamas and the niyamas, so those mental disciplines, the mental philosophies of the practice. In season two, we're discussing all things asana. Asana being the physical postural practice of yoga. Now, if you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes, I highly recommend that you backtrack and do that now. The physical practice of yoga these days tends to get a slightly bad rep because, as we all know, there's more than just the physical postures. However, the physical postures are still important when it comes to the practice of yoga. That's why they're included in the eight-limbed path and are a limb all by themselves. So if you're interested in learning more about the importance of the physical practice, of the postures, the asana, I highly recommend you listen to either the first or second episode of this season. If you didn't listen to the episode before this episode, the episode where we talk about Krishnamacharya, Sri K. Patabi Joyce, and BKS Iyengar, then I would listen to that episode before diving into this one. I do my best to keep these episodes in bite-sized pieces so that you can listen to them on the go, still get a decent amount of information, but not be overloaded with everything that we're talking about. So if you have the time, please rewind, listen to the previous episode. That way you have just a greater understanding of who Iyengar is, who his teacher Krishnamacharya was, and who his fellow student Patabi Joyce was. These three figures have very much so influenced so much of the modern day yoga practice, especially here in the West. It was these teachers, BKS Iyengar, Patabi Joyce, that really started to bring yoga over to the West, the physical practice of yoga, and invite Westerners into what yoga is all about. So it's no wonder that Iyengar yoga and Ashtanga yoga, which was sort of forefronted by Patabi Joyce, are still around as practices in the West and in the world today. Now, instead of talking about Krishnamacharya, instead of talking about Patabi Joyce, we're going to focus in on BKS Iyengar. More specifically, his contributions to the modern day yoga scene. Now, of course, BKS Iyengar has his own approach to yoga asana, and that is Iyengar yoga. Iyengar yoga is very different 
than a lot of what you'll see in today's modern day yoga practices, but at the same time, it's heavily influential of today's modern yoga practice, at least here in the West. BKS Iyengar came to his yoga practice with a very fragile body, so to speak. He had dealt with a lot of sickness, and therefore his yoga practice became more so a medicinal approach, cultivating that strength and flexibility in a rather weak and rigid body. When you look at Iyengar's approach to yoga asana, there's a focus on the alignment of the postures a focus on precision of execution in the postures, how we're entering, how we're exiting, how we're breathing within the postures, so that steadiness of breath, along with a heavy focus on the sequencing of postures. What does this posture do physically, mentally, energetically in the body? And all of these aspects, the alignment, the breath, the sequencing of the postures are major talking points within a lot of teacher trainings and workshops today. It's believed that this heavy emphasis on alignment, on precision, is because of BKS Iyengar's personal health when he first came to yoga. And so Iyengar yoga is a great practice for all populations. It's very easy to modify to accommodate all different types of body at every stage of life. The reason being is that Iyengar yoga uses a lot of props. You use blocks, bolsters, straps, chairs, the wall, blankets, pretty much anything that can support you in a posture can be used in Iyengar yoga. With the emphasis being on alignment, the alignment is found first with the props in use. So an example of this is triangle pose, trikonasana, a very foundational posture. If you cannot open up the hips, if you cannot spiral and stack open with your bottom hand on the ground or binding the big toe, then you can use a block. So this is just a small example, prioritizing alignment with the use of props in order to build strength and mobility in that space with the props before moving deeper. Now, other approaches of practice, specifically Ashtanga, which is why this is so interesting that BKS Iyengar and Patabi Joyce have the same teacher, but Ashtanga yoga is very much so... But Ashtanga yoga is very much so start messy and refine later. And that also deals with the dynamic execution of the Ashtanga yoga postures, which we'll get into in the next episode. Now in Iyengar yoga, the reason for this stress on mobility and strength within the postures first is to help avoid injury. One thing that I will say though is that there is this balance of using props to help you find alignment and build strength and mobility versus using props so that you can relax into the posture and dump your weight into your joints. 
So the use of props can be very good for finding alignment, but also not so good in terms of building strength if you're not focused on the engagements used moving in and out of the postures, which a very well-versed yoga instructor, whether they're Iyengar yoga certified or not, will have that knowledge to help guide you through. With that being said, the alignments in Iyengar yoga are often used in vinyasa yoga classes and studio-based classes today. However, not every person's body has the same anatomical structure. So while alignment is important, it's also good to know various alignments for different students depending on their physical capabilities, which once again, even though Iyengar yoga is very focused on alignment, alignment is not dogmatic. And a lot of Iyengar teachers have adopted this anti-dogmatic approach, which is very, very good. And in an Iyengar class, because postures are held for longer, several rounds of breath, several minutes to build that strength and mobility, to find that breath within the posture and really hone in on that precision, it's a lot easier for the teacher to walk around, offer props, offer adjustments, and really get each student into the posture before moving on to the next, which is something that isn't seen very often in a lot of those fast-paced class environments today. It's kind of a lost art, in my opinion, to be able to identify each specific student's needs. And it's something that, as a teacher, comes with time, comes with the experience with different bodies in the room in a typical class. The next thing that Iyengar heavily focuses on is the sequencing of the postures. Now, in Iyengar yoga, you're not necessarily flowing in and out of these postures in the same way that you would flow in a vinyasa-style class, which is what most studio-based classes are these days. While there is an emphasis on entering and exiting the posture, on setting the posture up, there's not that much emphasis on the transitions in between postures. In Iyengar yoga, setting up the foundation of each individual posture as you move into them is more important than seamlessly flowing from one posture to the next. But you can still get that same mindful experience because you're holding the postures for quite some time. Something else that's incredibly interesting and not every Iyengar teacher adopts this into their teaching, but from a very traditional Iyengar standpoint, you should be entering each posture with the exhale. The exhale often is what softens you into the posture, allows you to open up and move into that space. That's where the ease comes into play of yoga asana. Now, this is not always adopted by every Iyengar teacher. When we come out of a posture in Iyengar, you're supposed to come out on an inhale. 
which makes sense because when we are lifting ourselves back up from triangle, an inhale is going to help with that uplift of air, uplift of energy, and uplift of the body. Now, one thing I will say, just because props are heavily used, just because Iyengar yoga is very accessible, it does not make the asana easy. It might be easier to access the alignment of the asana with the Iyengar approach, but holding any posture, whether you're passive in a yin style class, which we'll talk about later, or you're active in a hatha, vinyasa, ashtanga class, holding any asana for several rounds of breath creates a challenge in and of itself. Not only will the physical challenge start to get to you as you start to open up and build that mobility, that intense sensation of stretching, but also maintaining that strength as you move into the posture, building that muscle as you go. That physical aspect of holding postures is a challenge, but the mental aspect of sticking with the posture, even when it's physically hard, can be very challenging as well. Slowing down, being present with your body, present with those sensations, fine-tuning your breath, focusing on the path of travel, focusing on maintaining that inhale and exhale is present in every single style or lineage of asana. So while Iyengar yoga is slower paced, really following that hatha mentality, it can still be very challenging and very advanced in its practice. Because Iyengar yoga attracts all different populations of people, most of what you see offered in studio classes are still very foundational. But that doesn't mean that as a more physically advanced student, you can't reap the benefits of Iyengar yoga, and it doesn't mean that you can't progress into more challenging postures. All it means is that the use of props will make these postures, whether they're foundational or more advanced, easily accessible in comparison to other styles of yoga, such as Ashtanga, that don't always encourage the use of props here, which is changing in the Ashtanga methodology, but once again, something we'll dive into in the next episode. The last thing about Iyengar yoga that I want to discuss is the sequencing of Iyengar yoga. While we aren't so worried about the transitions, Iyengar yoga heavily focuses on the various parts of the body that we're working with, heavily focuses on building that active mobility and strength, and heavily focuses on the energetics of the body. So in Iyengar yoga, there is a definite warm-up. There is a series of postures that usually, not always, remains within the same realm. That being said, you can still do a full body sequence in Iyengar yoga as long as it physically and energetically makes sense. For example, in Iyengar yoga, you wouldn't end class with a headstand. The reason being is that headstands are very warming for the body. Instead, another inversion to include in the ending of class would be shoulder stand. Still an inversion, still that decompression of the spine, but it's more 
cooling and grounding than, say, a headstand, especially if you are not a student adept to standing on your head. So shoulder stand can be more accessible, but also, once again, just provides that energetic quality of cooling, of grounding, really bringing you back to yourself into the deeper layers of your being so that you can rest in Shavasana accordingly. And Shavasana is not something to be skipped or taken lightly in an Iyengar class. Now, I had an Iyengar teacher when I took yoga in college. At this point, I had already done my teacher training. I was already teaching vinyasa yoga, and I was so challenged by the most foundational postures in this yoga class with this Iyengar teacher. Not only were we holding the postures longer than I would have liked, but the fine-tuning of the engagements, of the alignment, it can seem nitpicky, but it's all intended to avoid injury, to align the body physically and energetically, and to put you in the posture in the most effective way. And let me tell you, by the time Shavasana came in this Iyengar style class, I was so ready to just lay until I realized Shavasana was 15 to 20 minutes. A whole 15 to 20 minutes in Shavasana. Let me tell you, everybody laughs and jokes around that they would love to Shavasana all class. It's one thing to relax in Shavasana. It's another thing to be soft but present in Shavasana for 20 minutes. A long Shavasana is highly encouraged in Iyengar yoga, and that's something I've adopted in my classes, although I will say that we don't do 15 to 20 minutes, more like 5 to 10. However, laying in Shavasana for that long of a time can be incredibly rejuvenating for your body, can help you stay focused in your mind, present, it can allow you to open up to the deeper experiences of yoga asana. And when we're working with our body and we're creating all of this space, it then allows fresh blood, oxygen, and energy to move into these newly created spaces unobstructed. So Shavasana is not something that you should ever skip in your yoga class, and it's not something that you should ever just breeze on through. That being said, I don't think you need a 15 to 20 minute Shavasana every practice, although it can be a good challenge in and of itself to slow down, to be present, to be still for a whole 15 to 20 minutes, you might as well be sitting in meditation. There's an extreme amount of focus needed in order to make that Shavasana a little less agonizing with the monkey brain or the chatter or distractions that we so often get caught up in in our own brain. Now, Iyengar's contribution to yoga asana is not his only contribution to yoga in general. He is an author as well, and you may have heard of his books. I did discuss them in the last episode, Light on Yoga and Light on Life. Because of Iyengar's approach to anatomy, physiology, alignment, Light on Yoga, which breaks down the foundational yoga postures that 
book is often used in teacher trainings today, and a lot of Iyengar's alignment cues are also used in vinyasa-style classes, mainly because of that book, but also because his approach to alignment was one of the first few times that the emphasis on alignment with the use of props was prioritized more than the deepness, so to speak, of the posture. Now, Light on Yoga is a great resource if you are a teacher, if you are just starting off your yoga practice. However, I personally tell students to get Light on Life first. Light on Life is a great read. It doesn't really discuss much about the yoga asana. Instead, it's more or less a reflection of Iyengar's time as a student and teacher. What I love about the difference between light on yoga and light on life is the way that Iyengar speaks about the yoga practice. There really is a lot lighter of a quality to the way that he references yoga and the way that he references the practice in light on life. In Light on Yoga, Iyengar is a little more stern on some of his viewpoints, a lot more disciplined in a way that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for error. In Light on Life, you can see that viewpoint sort of change as his practice has evolved over the years. You can also tell that all of the mental disciplines of the practice have really started to seep into who he is and how he approaches life. So while both of them are a good read, and I recommend both of them, I'll put links to them in the show notes, I always recommend Light on Life first. Now, of course, I can't talk about BKS Iyengar without also bringing up the allegations against him as a teacher. Unfortunately, we see this a lot with teachers in high positions of power. Not that they necessarily put themselves in this powerful pedestal, but the guru mentality, the idea that they are so knowledgeable, so wise, and the admiration that their students give them can get to their heads and skew the way that they approach teaching and the practice as a whole. There are allegations against BKS Iyengar, and to be totally honest, I haven't looked into every single one. I do know that he had stepped down from working with certain brands and teachers because of these allegations, which I think is very wise of him to do, but there were allegations of him sleeping with students and there were allegations of inappropriate touching in terms of hands-on adjustments and not just an accidental brush up against someone's chest, but full-on laying on top of students, going pelvis to pelvis. All of these things are not necessary to put students in and out of postures. Now, I'm not here to defamate anyone's name. I think Iyengar has great contributions to the modern-day world of yoga in terms of his approach. I think his books are great. I also think it needs to be known that he was not a perfect person. I am not excusing his actions by saying that by any means, as these are very, very serious negative actions that can negatively impact students' lives for years and years to come. At the same time, I don't think we need to cancel Iyengar yoga. 
there are plenty of well-qualified, caring yoga teachers who respect the yoga teacher-student boundary and utilize the tools and information of Iyengar Yoga to guide students through the yoga asana. So while his actions in terms of those allegations were incredibly unprofessional, incredibly uncalled for, and very damaging and inappropriate, his body of work in terms of his contribution to yoga asana, in terms of Iyengar yoga, still has a lot of great information to help guide you through your yoga practice. Sadly, Iyengar is not the first or last teacher that has had these allegations come up, and sadly, I expect that many more teachers in the years to come will also unfortunately fall into this shitty behavior. To anyone who has had negative experiences with a teacher in that way, in any inappropriate way where boundaries were crossed physically, emotionally, my heart goes out to you. I will be discussing more at the end of this season about some of these allegations, what you can do as a student, and how you can move forward and still practice yoga without this experience overshadowing or clouding the beautiful benefits that yoga can still provide. Now, I know this is a somewhat dreary note to end on, but dreary is still super important. Now with that, I will say I am incredibly excited to dive into Ashtanga Yoga in the next episode as Ashtanga Yoga is my personal yoga practice. So I can't wait to discuss a little bit more of the history and methodology of Ashtanga Yoga in the next episode. As always, thank you for joining me and stay tuned. Thank you for joining me on the Sincere Yogi Podcast. If you want to deepen your yoga and meditation practice, check out my workshops and masterclasses on the Playbook app or join my guided meditation series on Insight Timer. If you just want to stop by, say hi, and see what's up, you can find me at the Sincere Yogi on Instagram.